and we are here at the NUS Educator Podcast. Um, I'm Dr. Robin Loon, and today in conversation with me, Dr. Peace Wong from the FASS Department of Social Work. We're very happy to have you here with us today, Peace. Hello, Peace. Hello, thank you for inviting me. I'm so delighted. It's my absolute pleasure. So now for this first segment, we're just going to start uh, by talking about you, the educator, um, your journey thus far, right? So how and when did you start and, and were you an NUS grad? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so you, you, you were an NUS grad. Yeah. Interestingly, I took social and Japanese, oh. thinking that actually I might do social in Japan oh. or, you know, do something about Japanese here. But somehow, you know, definitely social is a higher calling for myself. Oh. <laughs> and actually, I went into social work. Okay. Yeah, not the other way. So you <laughs> actually were a social worker. For mm. how long were you a social worker? Actually, after I graduated, I practice for almost 10 years before wow. I joined the department. Yeah, so I was really glad to be back to my alumni and my department mm. because that is where I begin to be able to think about what can I do differently for my mm. students mm. since I had such a good experience then as undergrad. Mm. Yeah, so then when I joined the department, that was after I have practiced for a number of years already. Okay, so 10 years as a social worker. Mm. So what made you decide to come back to academia and, became, and become an educator? Yeah, interestingly, because um, I was already practicing and supervising some interns mm. from NUS, mm. and I noticed that somehow in terms of the competency, there is a lot more that can be improved. Mm. And hence, my constant feedback to the head of department, is mm. there anything more that we can do for our mm. students to get them to be more ready? Mm. And because of my constant pestering and giving them no peace, then he said, okay, why not you join the department and see what difference could you, <laughs> <laughs> could you bring? I just want to stop you from complaining. <laughs> say, you think you can do better, you come just and do it yourself. Do it. <laughs> which I really gladfully, you know, uh, joined the department okay. and started my journey okay. um, yeah, as an instructor then, yeah, and then doing field placement right. and also teaching then. Okay, so you came as an instructor and you just rose through the ranks on the educator track, mm -hmm. right? So what made you think that, or when, what, when did you feel that being a university educator, you know, you talked about calling just now mm -hmm. in social work. So being a university educator in social work, when did you realise that, yeah, this is a calling, this is something that I could do for the long term? Mm. In fact, this educator part has always been with me. Mm. Yeah, so whether it is about myself working with a lot of the teenagers who get into trouble when I was a social worker, um, finding teachable moments for them, mm. or even when I was like helping the interns, you know, to begin to make sense of practice, I realised that there is this part that I constantly want to find some teachable moments mm. so that I can impart some kind of like thinking or get them to think about their own life so to see if there is anything that they want to do differently or um, embrace life in a different way. So mm. such teachable moments had always been something that I wanted to do, mm. either in my capacity as a mm. social worker or as an educator. Mm. So coming to NUS, you know, being an educator, that had always been something that I wanted to do. Finding teachable moments finding life-giving moments mm. so that eventually when students graduate, it is not just about getting a degree. Yeah. It is really about finding themselves mm. amidst the, maybe like the confusion that mm. they may have about what they want to do as a mm. young person or perhaps about, you know, is social work really suitable for me? Mm. Yeah, so things like that um, will be some um, usual conversations mm. that I have, my, I have with my undergrads. Mm. Yeah. 
So this, you have a very interesting profile piece. You were uh, an undergraduate at NUS and you majored in social work. You went out and, and worked as a social worker for 10 years and you came back. Now, what do you, now now as a very experienced um, NUS educator, what what do you think a university education means? What, why is a university education in your in in your opinion, an important thing? Mm, yeah, I think that is a very relevant question because it relates to how I experienced my university education. Mm. And as much as I have experienced, I do not want to impose and say, you must also have similar experience. Right, of course. Yeah, but at the same time, I know that there are some things that don't quite change over time, which mm. is the kind of like positive experience that we have with our course mates, mm. the kind of like relationship that we had with our lecturers mm. then, mm. that got us to really be very inspired to want to be a social worker. Mm. And my cohort of social work students then, mm. I mean, now that we have graduated for more than 20 over years, we are still quite a number of us are still practicing social and having right. gatherings. And the usual thing that we talk about is like, hey, last time I remember you were like that. <laughs> I mean, those were really fond memories. Mm. And um, I really hope that our students in this era could experience similar things like how we mm. have gone through, mm. which is having a support um, system where they can journey together in the undergrad stage and when they graduate, they have a pool of people that they know they can rely on mm. when they are practicing as a social worker. Mm. And of course, in this era, university education is somewhat different from my time, yes. which is like so many years ago. Um, I think that um, I really hope our students can begin to see the world, not just in a very... Um, um, micro manner mm. but begin to blend um, different disciplines with social work um, why do I say that um, mainly because I think social work practice has also evolved to the extent that we do not just like you know use our traditional methods yes, to practice right. but I think we have to increasingly think about new ways of you know um, practicing social work mm. even including like um, AI mm. or perhaps you know data analysis mm. and all these things which mm. I'm so happy that our students are doing all these things right now mm. um, at least for the CHS mm. so moving forward I really see that you know social work can evolve in a very dynamic way because it is not just about the usual things that we have been teaching them but now that they are learning something different is there any way to blend in with all these different disciplines and is there any way to begin to help them to think about how do they bring themselves in this whole process what they are good at what they what their strengths are so that eventually in their practice, they can evolve something so different, mm. but yet same in the sense that it is anchored with very sound principles of mm. practice, mm. theories that somehow can evolve over time, mm. but they must at least be grounded in principles, ethics of social practice and theories. Yeah, so long as they can have that, yeah, they are, they are free to fly, yeah, in a way. And uh, we're back at the FASS Educator Podcast in conversation with Dr. Peace Wong from the Department of Social Work at the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences. Now, in the previous segment, um, Peace talked about uh, students, that the, ed the university student graduating and being able to blend different uh, disciplines into what they've already learned from social work 
and then putting it into the practice. So now I'm just going to kind of riff off from that and um, just talk about here and now in 2022. Now, what, what do you think is the importance of an education in social work? Mm. I think the importance for our social work students now is to begin to embrace a more reflective thinking mm. so that eventually when they graduate, they will be differentiated by the fact that they are not just like can-do kind of social workers, but they can more than do. They can think very well. Mm. They can critique. They can analyse. And when they embrace this quality, I think it will be very, very helpful for them because mm. in social work practice, there are a lot of times that we have to think on the feet. Mm. Something happened on mm. the spot. You just have to see, you know, what is it that I can do now um, that is based on my theoretical frame, mm. ethical responsibility and all. Mm. So everything at that moment has to come together very mm. nicely. And that moment-to-moment kind of decision is something that we are trying to train our students to embrace so that they do not just memorise textbooks answers because there is no question that can be set in mm. the field. Yeah, so I hope that my students can begin to be more reflective. Mm. And when they begin to be reflective, they may have then developed this internal voice within them that will teach them how to do and go about doing things in mm. practice. Mm. Yeah, and that is very valuable to me. So you were a social worker and you've come back to um, uh, educating uh, education in the university now. So one of the things that I've heard from um, social work majors during my time and now they're working is this tension that the social worker had mm. with um, institutional regulations, you know, some of it they feel, for want of a better word, doesn't really look at the case itself, but wants the case to fit certain. Mm-hmm. So these tensions, how how do you, mm-hmm. in these three years as a social work major, mm-hmm. how do you help the students mm-hmm. find a way to manage these tensions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for raising this because that is definitely something that a lot of social workers, when they're out in the field, Mm. will begin to have people telling them what to do. Mm. And then they will say, no, this is not what I think I should do. Mm. Yeah, and then there'll be a lot of consideration that they have to think about because of the funding requirement. And these are very real things. They're very real things. Yeah, so sometimes what I will tell my students is, you know, not to immediately critique Mm. others to say that, you know, why must you tell me to do this? I think the idea is to think about their intention. Why Why do they have such a idea that they want to impose supposedly on us? What will be some of the values that they have? Like for example, you know, um, currently in the field, there are a lot of like um, measurements, um, sometimes like code of social practice and all this for them to utilize, you know, when they are assessing cases and all that. And sometimes it can be really cumbersome because it's very administrative. Mm. But then the question is, behind this administration, is there some value in there? Mm. Suppose if we were to miss out some things about, you know, assessing the safety of the clients, will it pose more risk to the community Mm. and to the client Mm. and of course the families out there? Mm. So I think there is value sometimes when there are some of the system in place. Mm. But the question, of course, for them is, you know, with all the system and with your training, how do you begin to blend it in a manner that is not a dichotomized kind of practice? Either I am a social worker with what I'm trained with or I just do what the funders tell me to do because when they get themselves into a very dichotomized kind of like positions, they find themselves very, very trapped. 
because mm. it's either I do this or I do that mm. and there's no way out mm. and sometimes that can be a factor that get them to be very burnt out mm. because they say oh I then cannot do what I wanted to do and blah 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 but yet I think in life it is not just about either or I think mm. it is beginning to have a lens to be able to appreciate the the value diversity and begin to see is there any value for us to blend things together mm. such that it is in harmony with mm. what is happening. So an mm. uh, end position rather than an either-or position right. will bring them a bit further. Mm. And not just that, it's also appreciating others for what they believe in. Mm. Um, currently, I mean, I sit in many different advisory committees at uh, ministries and all that. One thing I notice about policymakers is that, I mean, when they come up with policy, there is always a good intention. Mm. There is always, yeah. I guess the issue is about operational challenges Correct. that sometimes yeah. they may not be able to foresee because mm. sometimes you have to roll out something before you could see whether there are some, you know, issues that may surface. Mm. And if, let's say, we take the position to begin to challenge, hey, why this policy and that kind of thing, I think we get ourselves a bit stuck with, you know, um, working together and collaboratively with the policy makers. Mm. I think the position that we take could be, you know, surfacing what could be some of the challenges and seeing how best to manage it to the extent that they begin to see, you know, what are some of the difficulty challenges that mm. maybe perhaps social workers face mm. and what are some of the tension, you know, that can be managed differently, mm. yeah, together. Mm. So when we take on such position, I think usually I don't see that Policymakers will say no, mm. but sometimes it takes time because right. they need the system to stabilize a right. little and with feedback and all right. that. I think it will, over time, I think be better managed. Right. Yeah. So, so we'll come back to this later about mm. you um, engaging um, external institutions and the actual professional world. I just want to come back to. The, an education and social work, mm. the, the the classroom, the student, the social work major student, seems it seems to me that he, she, or they must have um, a lot of flexibility and ability to negotiate differences and be able to see from different perspectives. Mm. And I think the word that keeps coming up is blending things and making it work. So I like what you said, not the dichotomy, but the A-N-D, mm -hmm. not the dichotomy. So what do you think or what do you hope? Like just name me a couple of capabilities or a couple of features that a social work major who graduates must have, even if he, she or they don't go into social work, mm. right? What are these values and capabilities that you hope a social work major uh, should graduate with? Mm. I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is being reflective mm. um, because that is crucial whether they are in social work practice or not um, because that is really what um, education is, mm. you know, at the university level, not just like memorizing things, but being able to think about ways to do things differently, mm. um, providing solutions that are relevant. Mm. So that's the first thing. I guess the second thing is I really want them to begin to find who they are mm. in this whole universe, mm. who they are, which is something about what they want to do, mm. what they are good at, mm. um, and begin to put into practice, you know, all these things about their liking, their interests, mm. their abilities, and then um, choosing a career that can make them do all these things. Mm. So that working eventually is not just like working, working, but mm. it's also something fun because I'm bringing 
who I am into the job. Mm. Yeah, so I'm hoping that even if our social work students eventually graduating, not wanting to be a social worker, perfectly fine. Mm. Yeah, because at the end of the day, I think they have to find who they are, what they want to do in life, because mm. that will go far. But if we force them and say, because you're a social work graduate mm. and we invested so much in you, you have to, <laughs> then this narration will not sit well no. either for me as an educator, right. you know, or for our social work students, because mm. I think they're also fairly young in their mm. 20s, finding what they aspire to do. Mm. Yeah. So in this journey, I think it's providing a lot them with a lot of spaces, mm. begin to find who they are. Mm. Yeah. So conversations that we will have in class at least mm. will be about getting them to gain better self-awareness. Yes. And then not just about self-awareness, but also about, you know, how do their awareness of selves then lead them to begin to know how to fit better with the environment mm. out there. Yeah. And then eventually, if over time they can find that, that would be really good. But even if not, you know, and then over after practicing for some years, they come back and say, hey, peace, you know, well, I cannot like I'm not sure whether social is still for me. Then let's have a conversation mm. about that, you know. Is there something that is missing that, you know, got you to be in this position? And are there some things that you discover more about yourselves that you want to contribute to the community and to the society? So I do have social work students that I'm still very much in contact with, mm. even after they have graduated. Mm. Because sometimes, you know, after practicing for some years, they begin to revisit some of the ideas that right. we've talked about and say, how do I make sense? You know, how do I make sense? What is this all about? Then the conversation will be a lot more real because mm. now they are in practice already. Right. It's not a theoretical question. Mm, yeah. So I always enjoy conversations with my master students, mm. especially because they're really in the field. Mm. Um, they encounter real-life difficulties and that is where conversation will really help them to begin to expand their perspective mm. about what they want to do mm. and also about what can they do differently to the communities out there. Correct. Yeah. So from what I gather, a lot of what uh, is happening in the classroom and you practice it while you uh, promote it is about building relationships and self-awareness, self-knowledge. I think that's all quite important. And, yep. and so we're going to pick this up later a little bit more about your beliefs and values in education. But I just wanted to try to finish off this segment with some kind of a... I kind of feel that the, the social work student um, needs to be able to be in and then be able to step mm, out. Exactly. So, I like, again, going back to it's not whether you're in or out, but you have to be in mm. and out at mm. the same time. Mm. And I think that is a, a kind of a unique capability mm. that I feel that that at the university level is the is probably the best base mm. for students to develop that. Mm. Well, they get a sense of what it is, but then in the field is where you really practice how yeah. in and out you exactly. you're going to be. Yeah. So exactly. I I do. You, would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah. In fact, there is this term that I always use um, when I teach them, which is a part or a part. Mm. Yeah. Which is are you a part of them or are you apart from them? So, so a space p a r t. Yeah. And A-P-A-R-T, yeah, right. exactly. So a lot of times, you know, what I'll get them to do is, okay, now that you are a part of them, you know, how do you feel, what do you think about what they may be thinking mm. and all that. So, you know, developing empathy around those issues that they may be facing. But then we cannot just, you know, empathize with them alone because that will just get them feel that, yeah, someone understand me, but then so what, right? So we have take, 
to take a more objective stance, which mm. is standing apart and to look at, you know, what is happening, you know, to them that get them into this position? Is there some systemic things that is happening, you know, in their lives and or, you know, at the policy level that get them to be stuck in this position? Mm. So then they have to stand outside, you know, to begin to analyse what is happening both um, at the individual level, family level, societal level and at the policy level. And when they begin to be able to embrace both in, in and out position or a part or a part position, I think that will get them a bit further than to be constantly either stuck with, you know, just empathising or just doing policy work without understanding. Yeah, so this a part or a part is something that I think does help my students to begin to use different lenses to see things. And welcome back. We're at the um, NUS Educator Podcast. And I have been talking to Dr. P. Wong from the Department of Social Work. And um, in the previous segment, um, Peace shared with us her ideas of the importance of the, an education in social work and her own journey as a social worker and then back into the classroom. So now I want to focus on... Pieces, um, beliefs and values in education. Now, I've actually had um, long talks with Peace about this and I always feel that the self is really much, is very much at the centre of your beliefs and values in education that you're the, one of the key things that a social work student must be able to I don't want to say master, or must be able to bring together is a self. Now, talk us through that. Why, why is the self so important? Mm. And how do you help them find themselves? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's such a cliche to kind of find out. But yeah. how do you help them discover, if not find? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for raising this because it is... Um, my realisation too that I emphasise a lot about self in my teaching mm. and the reason for doing that is really because um, a lot of times you know as social workers we bring ourselves as mm. a tool in practice because mm. we bring nothing else right mm. so hence that become very important for us like others they bring many <coughs> different tools but for us we bring ourselves mm. so for our students then it's begin to make sense about themselves mm. who they are yeah and of course, translated into teaching, how do they find themselves, right? Mm, that's it's right. so hard, right? Self is, I mean, how do we define self in the mm, first indeed. place? Yeah. So we have to even, you know, uh, look at literature that talks about the different types of self that people have. And I realised that, you know, self has got many dimensions, you know. It's mm. not just about the thinking, feeling and doing and all that. But it's also about the their own existential belief about mm. what they think mm. um, they want to do, their, their meaning in life, how do they begin to make sense. Um, so in the process of teaching, then it is to unpack some of these things mm. about themselves so that they begin to realise something deeper about themselves, which is beyond thinking, feeling, um, doing, but it's also about hey, you know, when I begin to do this, what is the meaning for me out there? Mm. You know, what makes me decide that this is so important? Mm. How come this is so important for me? And begin to realise their own value system in there. Mm. And how they develop this idea of valuing this value or principle 
um, and to see whether it fits or not fit with the practice. Mm. Yeah, and begin to challenge them to say, hey, you know, you have this value and it is definitely a good one. How does it fit or not fit in this practice situation? And how can you begin to also marry so that you don't abandon who you are and what yeah. you believe in and begin to see whether there's some way to bring um, greater the end position mm. in this uh, situation. Mm. Yeah. So I find that self is really important mm. and to do that, I think they have to experience it. So mm. then relationship becomes important. Right. Because it is true, having a relationship with my students in a manner that they begin to experience that, hey, there's someone who care, there's someone who genuinely wanting to believe in you, in mm. your potential. And when they begin to experience a relationship like that, which is how Carl um, Rogers actually, you know, uh, shared in his um, person-centered approach, then I think students will be able to see that in this relationship, because I've experienced it, I begin to want to be more congruent as a person. Mm. And over time, I think they will be able to find themselves as who they are. So let's come back to the concrete. Mm. I mean, these are, you know, what we call objectives and learning outcomes that you should have. Mm. So... Give me a couple of examples. How would you mm. lead the students in the classroom, either through your um, mm. some assessment or mm. some assignments? How name? Give me yeah. a couple of examples of how you would lead the students into making these mm. very important discoveries. Yeah, um, for my social work students, definitely I'll get them to do reflection paper. Mm. You know, for one of the assessment components. To me, it is very important um, because it is through reflection that they begin to be more aware of things that is happening around them. So, for example, um, most of the modules, in fact, maybe all of the modules that I taught involve some kind of practice, mm. either working with individuals and mm. families, working with groups or supervision. Mm. So, in these instances, I will link my students to some of the practice contexts where mm. they observe cases mm. uh, that are done by social workers or they sit in case discussion. If not, they are engaged together with the social workers, you know, in developing proposals mm. or even run group work sessions. Mm. So, when they begin to do this, then they have such life experience to begin to analyse, hey, you know, there are certain moments, right, that I don't quite understand and I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Mm. So, they will begin to raise some of these things and usually... After the um, uh, sessions like that, I will sit down with them to begin to reflect, you know, what were some moments that you feel uncomfortable? How come you are uncomfortable That's about right. this? Yeah. And then begin to see, you know, um, in school we teach you this. Do you see that happening in practice? Mm. What is missing, you know? And when they begin to reflect in manner like this, um, learning become more real because they begin to discover that theories are very much alive in practice mm. and that um, themselves... Their feeling, thinking is also very much a part of this whole process mm. in their um, understanding of social work practice. Mm. Yeah, so mm. I always go with certain moments that they're uncomfortable with, happy and all that, mm. and then begin to help them unpack a little. Mm. Yeah. So I think that's really important because I think at this stage, and this is my personal opinion, you know, university education and indeed tertiary education or any kind of higher education have always talked about critical thinking ability. But I think in 2022, certainly as we emerge from the pandemic, I think reflective thinking is even more important. But I don't know, I, I do the same thing when I teach theatre studies and I get students to reflect on their practice. But they've always come back to me and asked me for a rubric. How do you... So in the end, I just said, I can't really tell you how you can get an A, except if you reflect deeply and 
I don't need you to just document you did A, B, C, D, E. Mm. And it's not so, and how do you feel about it? What does that generate in you? And they are often very, they are always very, very confused. I said, I, I, I thought this is academic, that you want me to be objective. Now you want me to get personal and I can get an A. from. So I said, well, not really, right? So this is the problem with reflection because like you said, it is the self, it is personal, mm. but yet it has to be informed mm. within yeah. that context. Yeah. So how do you help students? Because reflection... They all end up journaling, which is not really reflection, yeah. right? They end up telling you, oh, I did this and did that. I think I did okay, mm. right? But that's not really that's reflection, not. right? Yeah. So how, what is the Peace Wong method to um, help the students find a way? We can't really teach reflection, but we can help them find a way to reflect deeper. Mm. Yeah. How would you do? How do you do it? I mean, I know you have, you said you had these conversations with them, but what do you kind of prompt them to think about? Mm, yeah. In fact, um, because I've been practicing for many years and I also like took on uh, clinical supervision as mm. part of my training, I realized that being reflective is one major component. So in my PhD, actually, I tried to like, you know, sit in many case discussion sessions that the seniors have and begin to analyse, is there a system that they help our social workers out there mm. to reflect on their practice? Mm. And as I begin to like look at some of their supervision sessions, I realised that, hey, there is actually something that is fairly systematic. Mm. While it is um, an art, there is also the science about it. Right. And then I developed this peace process in mm. context supervisory model mm. that helped them to systematically look at, you know, um, certain things like, for example, the peace actually stands for place and priority. So when they begin, they'll say, hey, let's find a good place, you know, that we can actually have a session and then prioritising what is it that we want to do. And then event recounting, they have to describe the event. event. But beyond, beyond the description, I think the deeper part is to look at um, the A, which is appreciative analysis, mm. what is happening out there that, mm. you know, that you experience this, whatever that you have described, mm. yeah? And then they begin to look at assumptions that may have, that they may have, values that they bring in, theories perhaps mm. um, that they have been thinking about, that they try to do but didn't quite work. Then they begin to make sense, hey, what is it that is missing out there? Mm. And then as they begin to move on and analyse using the theories themselves and all that, then the next stage will be the collab collaborative planning. Collaborative planning. Yeah, where they begin to see, okay, now that we are in this situation, what is it that we want to do differently? So how can we move towards that position? And that is where they begin to think out of the box. I said, currently I'm doing this, but it doesn't work or it works. Or in the past, I did this, it works very well. Then is there something that you can continue to do which is more of the same good things? Or perhaps if that didn't quite work out well, is there something different that you can do? So then with that is the C and finally it's the experimentation and mm. evaluation mm. where they try and then evaluate, see, does it work or doesn't work, you know, based on our discussion. If it does, how come? If it doesn't, why not? Then going back to the cycle again, you know, to reflect. But in this whole reflection, it's not just about a very linear way because they have to mm. systematically look at many dimensions like mm. including, you know, socio-political policies. They also need to look at ethics, the funding requirements and the external environment, mm. how that may impact them in, in their work with clients. Mm. Yeah, so then the context actually has a lot 
of context. To mm. me, there are actually nine contexts that they have to systematically think mm. through. Like, you know, the first context is this, my interface with my client and all that. And when they go through this very systematic way, um, I always tell them that don't think that it is like in practice it's so systematic huh? mm. you need to have the thinking mm. and then eventually when you're out there just have this uh, ideas in your mind that when you begin to look at your client you know go beyond the person that you're seeing to mm. look at what is the interaction between this and the environment mm. that get them to be in this mm. what is happening between me and my client that got me to do this more or less why am I so triggered emotionally like right. I'm so angry you know it's like is it your own projection of what you want or is right. it what the client wants so so there are many, th- many things that you know in practice they, they have to analyse right. so back to ours those are for my master students right. which I really appreciated because they have all these real cases for mm. me to talk about but for my undergrads I think I'll teach them very things which is a bit more simpler which mm. is describe the event but not just description alone yeah. Yeah, because that is just too superficial it's too superficial yeah right. I think I need them to go a little bit deeper mm. into analysing which is you know um, values their own assumptions uh, theories that they bring into practice and then how can they do go deeper mm. yeah what can then inform them in the into in their practice yeah because at the end of the day you know being social work it's not just a theoretical kind of like discipline I think they have to then decide with all the learning that I have in school how can I translate all this into practice Mm. and that is where I think when they begin to think and go beyond the description I think they will go a bit further but I realise that it is always important for them to begin to start with themselves first like is there anything that triggers you you know Correct. Um, the yeah, feeling the thinking mm. and some students say no I, I just cannot feel anything then okay what are your thoughts you know we start with the thinking first right. but for some students they just say I feel a lot okay so then can we balance it a little bit mm. what are your thoughts in there you know you feel this but thinking where is it you know for someone who think a lot, then you're feeling, how come no feeling? What is happening in there? Mm. So getting them to begin to experience different aspects of themselves. Mm. And then when they begin to do that, I think it opens up, you know, the space for them to realise that, hey, I didn't realise that actually sometimes I feel so much or I think so much that I'm missing something in there. Mm. And again, it's about blending. Mm. It's not just either I feel a lot or I must think a lot, but yeah. are back. NUS Educator Podcast. My name is Robin Loon and I have been in conversation with Dr. Peace Wong from the FASS Department of Social Work. Now, in this particular segment, I want to talk to Peace about the kind of educational innovation and the changes that Peace has made inside and outside of the discipline. Um, in a previous segment, um, a piece talked about a, a schema, I'll just call it a schema, to help students reflect, because that's quite a tricky thing. Just have a listen to the previous segment about the, the difficulties of trying to get students to reflect deeply. So it's wittingly, wittily called P-E-A-C-E. <laughs> so, so talk me through it again. What is, what is P? Yeah, so basically, P-E-A-C-E is, is peace and... Oh, no, no, sorry. Okay, so... Yeah. <laughs> no, because, I, you mm. know, I started to have this imagination when I was doing my PhD mm. defence, right? They also say, hey, you, you just peace, you know, and you're peace, then how do you defend your peace model? Correct. Yeah, so, yeah, so that 
flashes back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But so, P P E A C E. So. What is P? What is E? What is A? What is C? What is E? Yeah, so P's process in context supervisory model is something mm. that I've developed after mm. I, you know, analyze a lot of the supervision sessions that mm. the seniors actually go through with the social workers. Mm. So P stands for place and priority. Mm. Um, e stands for events recounting. Mm. A stands for appreciative analysis. Mm. C stands for collaborative planning. Mm. And E stands for experimentation and evaluation. Mm. Yeah. So you talked about it just now that it isn't a linear process. Mm, it, is. it isn't you do P then go E. Yeah. It can be all jumbled yeah. up together. Yeah. Right. And uh, that you need to constantly negotiate that. And I think this is a very useful. I might, I might steal it for my theatre studies because I think this is really, uh, you know, just kind of interesting notes for the students to bear in mind when they approach. Mm. See, that I, I find a lot of um, uh, echoes between social work and, and theatre studies yeah. because we, we deal with human yeah. beings. We, a lot of the work mm. that we do is very empathy-driven, mm. right, in terms of characterization and so on and so forth. So in the previous segment, you talk about how, you know, the students, even with this schema of the P-E-A-C-E, they need to bespoke it and kind of make it work for them and it's about also fitting it to the relevant context right so what were the problems you face trying to not not trying to what were the problems you face um getting students to not just adopt the model but to adapt mm. this model mm, mm. yeah I think one of the difficulties I imagine would be that students want to take it wholesale. Yeah. Yeah. So because like so they love models, they have this, right? Yeah, model, right? Just want so to follow. systematic, just follow. But I say you yes, in a way there is some kind of like systems in there. Correct. But we can't really follow step by step. Mm. Um, because social work is both an art and also a science. Yes, indeed. So while it is, you know, very systematic, but we have to, you know, blend in such a way that we begin to use the model in a very flexible way and that this become internalized in you that you don't have to like okay PAC people <laughs> <laughs> it's the next yeah I think when we do that I think we get ourselves too caught up with the steps, the steps. but then we miss the bigger picture which Correct. is you know the reflective moments yeah so while this can be a useful um, idea uh, I think the challenge for them is not to get too stuck with that and not to fall in love with mm. it at all yeah. So that eventually they can then innovate something different because Correct. of their unique situation and the context that they are in. Correct. That's excellent. And I think, you know, um, maybe it is the system, maybe it is the assessment, maybe it is the bell curve, maybe it is a huge host of reasons that um, students tend to cling mm. onto what they think would be fail-safe mm. and um, they are a little bit more risk averse mm. so they want to f a model that is that will help them mm. get the which grades that they want yeah. which I think is fair but then I understand from our conversation that you want the social work student to go m further than just get good grades mm. so I think then again this is part of the th work that you do right? so, so we're not going to just leave you flapping on your own we're going to give you something to help you but you're going to paddle and make your make mm. it work yourself mm. so i'm going to move on to this next segment um um you spoke 
in earlier in a previous segment that you worked as a social worker for 10 years, then you came back, um, did your postgrad, did your PhD, joined the department as an educator, rose through the ranks. And I think during that particular phase of your educator career, there was a lot of connection and experience that you took from your work, your professional profile as a social worker into. So many, many years later, do you feel that you are disconnected to the, the professional environment or how do you stay connected? I understand that you participate in a lot of uh, the professional bodies outside there. Tell us a little bit more about how, what is your involvement there and how do you synergize this involvement with the professional context and then back into the classroom and then classroom back into the professional context. Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, I think it helps when I have actually worked in the field for many years right. and hence I have a lot of like connection and also Correct. network that can't be easily built over time That's so right. and think that helps a lot. So it becomes very natural for me when I'm in the department that I begin to bring the field back to the department and department to the field. Mm. I mean, this fusion is to me a natural blending because mm. we cannot just teach our social work students in isolation just Correct. within the university classroom mm. setting without bringing them to the field. Mm. And so hence, most of my modules actually expose them to the environment, which is the practice context, mm. so that they begin to make sense of practice. So the connection to me is important Correct. between classroom and the field. Yeah. So that they do not see a very dichotomized one. Correct. Yeah. So again, not dichotomy, but the mm. A&D, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, in addition to that, um, because of my familiarity with some of the sector's issues that has been evolving over time, I sit on the accreditation board mm. and also some of the committees with MSF and some of the advisory boards with um, different social service organisations. It helps me to be very grounded, to mm. know what is happening out there. Yeah, And this groundedness is important to me at least in mm. social work practice because I just cannot be teaching them um, theories, you know, and textbooks which is from another country but Correct. may not be as relevant mm. you know in the local context mm. so then my examples become more real because I get my live stream you know actually from my peers who will message me hey you know now it's like this thing just rolled out and blah 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 so they will be telling me things and the effects on the practice and mm. on them as uh, social workers um, so I get a lot of all this information from my um, peers and also from my students sometimes who mm. just want to come back to talk to me about what is happening to mm. them, their career and all that. Mm. And I feel that it is really important for social right. practice. Mm. And again, you know, social work is not just about working, it's really the, the social part. So all it's right. like social work. Mm. So I then see that, you know, a lot of times, you know, my involvement is not just teaching here, but having a lot of social connections mm. out there with the industry to see whether there is any way in which, you know, our education mm. can help to better prepare our students so mm. that when they graduate, they're more ready. Or the other way around is, is there something that may be missing, you know, that as an academic, I can also try to like support, mm. you know, or to lend a bit of weight in terms of mm. my thinking about issues that is evolving and mm. all that. Yeah. So one of the pieces that mm. actually I got myself very much into is supervision mm. um, because then I was actually a centre director of an organisation and because I was having a dual role, I'm both a centre director and also a clinical supervisor, mm. I realised that I'm always you know, in this dilemma which is balancing between my managerial role and also the clinical right. role and sometimes this power dynamics makes it a bit harder you know, for mm. my supervisors to feel safe to talk mm -hmm. about things because you know what if I say this then will I get be 
be appraised differently. Mm. So I always attempt to create a safe environment and to assure them. And because of my involvement in supervision, you know, I actually started um, working with uh, many groups of professionals in different settings like medical, government, community, prisons and all that to begin to see whether there is any guide that we can actually come up with mm. so that we can perhaps standardise practice a little bit in practice. relation to supervision. Re- At mm. least like, you know, frequency. Is there any minimum practice, you mm. know, that we can actually enforce so that Social workers at least can be supervised by a trained person, but how do we define who is trained? trained how many correct. years is considered a trained? And then we begin to talk among ourselves, look at you know other supervision guides that are available overseas and all that. And then we came up with our own local one right. that was in 2017. Right. And when that was launched, I think that was really helpful for the professionals because we then have a guide to say that, hey, you know, mm. for social workers who are not having proper supervision, mm. bring this to your organisation and correct. say, hey, you know, is there something that I can have, you know, because... You know, the association actually says that, you know, we need to have at least like 5%, you know, of my hours to be supervised and Mm. all that. Yeah, so then that can become an advocacy piece for Mm. the social workers out there. And eventually, we also work with the government side so that eventually they also get funding, you know, to support social workers who can't have supervision within the organisation to get external supervisors within the association. And funding actually is negotiated with some of the ministries. And because we do all this, I think the momentum, you know, has been built over the years um, since 2017. And last year, 2021, we began to think, you know, now that, you know, people are a bit more familiar with the basic standards, is there something more? Mm. And hence, we decided that perhaps we should come up with a competency framework which mm. is levelling, like for example, basic, intermediate, advanced and also right. expert level so that we can see this progression and map training courses accordingly right. at the association. Because there's no point telling people that, okay, you need supervisor, but if I can't find supervisor and the supervisor do not know what might be the basic competencies at different Correct. levels, then... It, is also not too helpful for them because we're asking them to do something that they may not know where they are getting into. Correct. And hence, this competency framework became mm. important um, because we actually map out the different competencies across the years of supervisory practice. Mm. And then again, we launched it last year mm. um, with the belief that um, once we rolled out appropriate training, mm. I think we will be able to support a lot more social workers mm. who increasingly get burned out because of the complexities of issues Correct. and or their life trajectories and all that. Correct. Yeah, but at least there's someone who is hopefully watching over them. And uh, in this segment of the NUS Educator Podcast, um, I'm going to be chatting with uh, Dr. Peace Wong from the Department of Social Work about future challenges. The first thing I want to ask you, um, Peace, what do you see uh, are the major challenges facing you as a social work educator at NUS? So I'm always thinking about how best to provide a good enough um, curriculum and at the same time, helping them to be more reflective in this whole process. Mm. Um, I think it is not easy to help our students to slow down. 
um, because a lot of times, you know, they are so packed with so many things and all that they want to do is to have good grades. Mm. But sometimes my challenge for them is, yes, I know that you want to have good grades and that is a legit thing. But beyond good grades, you know, you're coming in for an education. That's right. So if you're coming in for an education, what is it? What is your purpose, you know? What would you want to be educated with? Is it just about knowledge? If it is just knowledge alone, I think you can read it. Yeah, but yeah. if it is about experience, taking that time and space to think, developing a critical thinking, that is something that we can provide for you. Mm. But I think they need to have the humility to say that they do not know enough mm. and that they can't know enough. Yeah, mm. and that is sometimes the irony of practice because we want them to in a way be all-knowing but yet we recognise the fact that they can't really be all-knowing mm. in this um, reality mm. yeah so it's having the humility to know that I cannot know enough but yet good enough to be able to practice as a social worker mm. now just want to bring this um, into focus and have your thoughts about it there has been quite a, a, a bit of commentary about how uh, the college system whether it is the College of Design and Engineering, uh, College of Humanities and Social uh, and Sciences, uh, they they are actually limiting module offerings. But there's another way to look at it, right? So we just ha- have to make less go further, mm. right? Mm. And then it's, then it's really about revamping the way we teach and mm. again. What is the vision for this new system to train the new social workers? I mean, again, you know, there's a particular standard that they have to because we're dealing with human beings, right? Mm. There's a certain... But again, you know, the, 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 the other way to look at it is that how can, you know, we make this go much further? Mm. And that's where a lot of the pedagogical and educational uh, innovation, right? It's just mm. really about pacing them, right? Mm. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Actually, with the possible changes that CHS may bring to social work curriculum, I'm very excited. Mm. Mainly because I see that, you know, when they bring in different perspectives into Mm. social work, um, they will be able to be able to think differently, do things differently. Mm. Yeah, so the challenge then is how do we, within this limited curriculum space, you know, max out, you know, their learning opportunities. And that is where I think in next year when our CHS students um, under social work, you know, go through Mm. the field placement, we are going to revisit the whole idea of field placement so that we begin to introduce different components such as reflective lab Mm. and also community labs to to relook at our curriculum to see whether there is anything more that we can do things differently Mm. with our intention. And of course, with the acknowledgement that now they actually have different modules exposure. So how can we, you know, help them to blend in and be more reflective with what they have learned and social work Mm. and then eventually um, see practice differently. Mm. And I'm really open to their proposals of, you know, different ways of doing because that could be something that we are unfamiliar with because we are not trained in A and all that. So I think um, in a way... This change, uh, you know, brought about by CHS also give us a lot of opportunities to mm. rethink about our curriculum, mm. which I believe over time will sit well when we begin to have more conversations with the field to see, you know, this is the batch that is going through this. That's you know, right. we change the curriculum. Does it fit well with the right. new era? You know, mm. how is the field out there responding mm. to our uh, social work graduates who mm. may be slightly different? That's so right. how to also let them to become more excited with the different thinking or perspectives that our undergrads or, you know, graduates will have. Yeah, yeah, because 
really then this batch of CHS students would have, you know, been exposed to modules on AI, mm, design thinking, mm. digital literacy, data exactly. literacy. Yeah. You know, they yes. would have done um, scientific inquiry. So, yeah. uh, you know, might as well, you know, mm. help them. I mean, the, the key word for you has always been about blending, right? Mm. Let's just help them mm. blend. Exactly. And like, they might give you proposals that they themselves have pieced together mm, mm. from different things. And yeah. again, you know, we just have to keep a very open mind to sure. say, oh, okay. But again, they have yeah. to they have to back it up yeah. with sound logic. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they can't just throw things in. Yeah. But I think it is mm. quite an exciting it thing is. to have. Yeah. It's, again, you know, a little bit unknown, but... I'm excited. I really am. Because then my, my theatre students would have come knowing some AI mm. or some design thinking. Mm. And for, for all you know, that might actually boost the discipline-specific exactly. education. So, yep. now, finally, moving forward as an educator, right? What, what's next for you? What's next for, for mm. peace? What yeah. would you like to do? Yeah. Mm. I think more of the same, but mm. not same-same. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, similar in the sense that, you know, my heartbeat for the students will be the same, mm. which is, you know, wanting them to get a good education, good mm. enough to pa- practice. Mm. And at the same time, I'm hoping that, you know, I can bring more connection, you know, between classroom and the field yeah. so that this integration can be stronger mm. and that um, our social work students will be more ready to embrace mm. uh, differences and changes that the mm. world can offer for them. Mm. Yeah, I want them to be excited for practice, but I want them to be very realistic about practice as yeah. well. Yeah, because I don't want them to be just idealists to say, okay, I can change the world. But yet, when they're out there, there are a lot of really um, limitations mm. and things that they may not be able to mm. do immediately. Mm. Yeah, so I want to, them to keep perhaps a heartbeat, you know, about why and they choose. And also be patient. Huh? Yeah, be patient, learn on the job, be humble enough to ask and not to assume that they know everything. Mm. Yeah, so I've been thinking about this idea of good enough education for my students, in part because I've been influenced largely by Anthony Yeo. Some of us will have known him dearly because he is the father of counselling. He has passed on since, but because of my personal interaction with him, you know, when I was younger as a social worker, um, I often tell him that, you know, Anthony, I want to be the best social worker, best mother, best, best in everything. And then he kept asking me, why not good enough? So that got me thinking, yeah, why not good enough? But I'd always tell him I remembered, good enough is not good enough because it's not good enough. <laughs> I said, I must be the most excellent one. So conversations with him like this, you know, get me thinking over time that perhaps what he's suggesting is that it is not about foregoing my aspiration, which is to be excellent, but to be okay when times that, you know, I think that it is good enough. So sometimes I share with my students about this idea of like being good enough because most of our students uh, definitely want a good grade and for that, you know, kudos to them and I want that to, I want to see that happen. But at the same time, I also want them to be realistic that in mm. life, sometimes we cannot have the best of everything. Correct. And when they can't have the best of everything, perhaps good enough is really good enough Mm. and that you know when they have a good enough mentality but at the same time striving towards excellence that will keep them in the journey at least it brings them far than to have them stop at that uh, journey and to say that I'm quitting because you know I'm just just failing I'm not doing well Mm. perhaps that 
not doing well at that moment, so long as we maintain a good enough idea that maybe, you know, because of the life circumstances, I'm not able to perform mm. to the best, but well, it is just part of the journey. Mm. Let's move on from there. So I'm just hoping that my students can also embrace excellence in their thinking, but yet a realism that sometimes if things don't go as well, that good enough is good enough. With that, I thank you. Thank you, peace. <laughs>